This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Paul Violas is a CBS News security consultant, an accomplished author, and a renowned global security and law enforcement expert. With over 35 years of experience, he's dedicated his life to finding solutions for the problems that keep you up at night. This is Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. I'm Paul Violas, and this is a CBS News Radio production. I want to thank everybody for hitting us up on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, great comments, great feedback. Uh, I'll hit that at the end of the show, especially with some of the people who are asking me to answer questions. I'll do that later. I want to remind everybody, too, that CBS has started uh, SEC Matters. That's at SEC Matters on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, not that we didn't have enough social media, but you know, just for you guys to hit us up there. Also, a big thank you to everybody that's taken the time to give us a review and a rating. You can go to cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Hit us up at Security Matters. What you have to say means an awful lot because, again, Security Matters is your show. We're addressing issues that keep you up at night. Some of the most compelling issues and utilizing the greatest brain trust that we have available to us here at CBS. Today, obviously, no exception to that rule. Um, speaking about today... One of the most controversial subjects in America surrounding the safety of our children while they're in school. That's right. It's coming from that omnipresent subject of school violence, which begets the question, are you ready for this? Do we arm teachers? Right. Do we arm teachers? Now, you know that I want your opinion on that, and I can't wait to hear it. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you get me up at info at Viola, send me a smoke signal. I really don't care. But I do want to know what you think about this. Um, and, and, and not the screaming at the rain thing. I really want to know what you think about this. It's, it's extremely important. Before I introduce our esteemed guest today, a couple, just a little benchmarking. Not that I have to do this because it's not like you can't go anywhere and not hear this. There have been 1,300 school shooting incidents in the United States since 1970. A brief sidebar, I know that we are very blessed to have an international audience, and I know that internationally we can go country by country or region by region in those countries and come up with other numbers. We're just going to hit this one today for the U.S. 2018 had the greatest number of incidents since 1970 with 82 recorded incidents. Now think about this. My parents out there, think about this. 82 recorded incidents. Next highest year was 2006 with 59. 2018 was the highest year for the number of victims killed, including shooters, 51 killed. 669, this I found this really important, especially coming from law enforcement and looking at what we're going to talk about today. 669 incidents occurred outside, outside on school property. Stay with me on that. 588 occurred inside the school building. So now the important part about this, 
as we get into talking about the subject about Army teachers, remember that number, 588 occurred inside the school building. I'm going to be coming back to that, but first, um, we are so very fortunate uh, to have uh, someone I'm a big fan of. Uh, we have Randy Weingarten is, is with us today. She is the president of the 1.7 million member American Federation of Teachers, which represents teachers, paraprofessionals, and school-related personnel across the United States. She has dedicated, needless to say, her entire professional life, which is extraordinary, by the way, for the well-being of our educational system. She is by far one of the most important professionals in the United States in the field of education. She also finds the time, which I don't know how she does this, but she finds the time to write a column for the famed New York Times Sunday Review, the third Sunday of each month. It's called What Matters Most. She is a brilliant educator, but most importantly, the brain trust behind the leadership that we need to take care of our teachers. Randy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Paul, and flattery will get you everywhere. And, <laughs> you know, I wish my mother was still alive to hear this uh, because she was an inveterate CBS listener. <laughs> so oh, God you. rest her soul. Jeez. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, that's great. So happy amazing. to have you here and on such an <laughs> important subject. You know, Randy, such an important subject. And uh, I want to start off just, just basically... We, you know, I clearly understand your background. I, I want to start us off with a little bit about where I see this subject. I want to talk about the letter that you wrote to the president, your views on this, and then let's drill down, okay, on the finite points of this particular subject. Controversial as it is, CBS News poll on allowing teachers to carry guns showed that 50% oppose um, 44% in favor. But we're going to get your perspective on that before we get to the letter, before we get to the legislation that's out there. Um, so everybody's on the same page as, as far as where I'm coming from. And everybody knows I am a political. I'm, I am not here to make a right or left side of the aisle uh, position. Not at all. I'm about saving lives. Uh, that's, that's what it comes down to. And uh, that's what we're here to talk about. I want to benchmark this by saying this. Police officers, and we'll, we'll specifically hit Florida today because, you know, effective October 1st, some legislation's coming out that's pretty alarming for me. Police officers go through extensive training, anywhere from 700 to, in, in some cases, over 1,300 hours of training just to get through the basic police academy. That's after an arduous, very, very complex, very thorough process of um, screening before they get to the point where they get accepted to the police academy. That process itself can take anywhere from three to six months. Once inside the academy, the washout rate sometimes, now when I was the commander of the academy here when I was in Florida, we had a washout rate that was just around 45%. Now, I don't know what it is today. Well, okay, right? So we have that. But then we get through that, and then they have a field training officer program, which lasts six months to a year. That's the other vetting process. Police officers yep. are required anywhere from 40 to 80 hours of mandatory retraining every year, right? So now, Randy, you know what we're looking at? We're looking at this enormous amount of training and retraining, all for the use of, for the use of force mostly, okay? The use of deadly physical force and, is governed by— And the by, use yes, of a, Yes, go right ahead. 
And the use of a handgun. The use of you know, a handgun. I mean, it, it's just, it's, it's an amazing amount. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. No, you're right you're, you're, you're just, the, the people I have learned from on this, you know, I am, you know, I, I, I touched a gun once when I was in the Sinai and a trip to Israel when I was a kid. And so I am certainly no expert on gun uses usage and so I actually spent a bunch of time with people like you Paul who are really steeped and understand you know the use of guns is the psychological need of somebody to be prepared the training and all of this and and that is actually what formed my belief mm -hmm. about just what lunacy it would be to have teachers armed in schools no and question. you know and you just you know and that's because because I'm not saying, and I've, I've said this, by the way, I have members who are, you know, correction officers, probation officers, security officers, security supervisors in New York, and they have spent a lot of time with us talking about what it would look like, what it would need to be, and it's the law enforcement people and, frankly, the NRA hunters who are more alarmed than the, you know, anti-gun um, people who, you know, um, that, that say, wait a second, this is really, this idea will make schools less safe. And so when teachers don't want it, when students don't want it, when law enforcement officers are really saying with neon lights, do not do this, I do not understand for the life of me how we can get this level of, of, of craziness in our policy like what you see in the new Florida law. Well, you know, but Randy, let, let, let's, let's just call it the way it is, okay? Let's call it the way it is. What's driving that legislation? All right, now I know this is going to really raise the hair on the back of a lot of people's necks, and God knows I really don't care. But the truth is the truth. It's inescapable. What is the most powerful? Yeah, Great question, Randy. What's it, the most powerful lobby in America? The NRA. Okay. It was the NRA. And frankly, what also has just happened, we've just seen, is that the NRA, which is the most powerful lobbying force in Florida, have not even revealed the amount of money that they put into the system in terms of this lobbying. And, and, and when you see people, you notice last year when the kids were in Tallahassee, when teachers were out there, when people were all on the streets, even Rick Scott um, put, um, was pushed back on, you know, on, on the kind of radical proposal right. that, the, um, that, that, that the Florida um, legislature um, did and that DeSantis just signed. Right. And, and, and you, you go even into really kind of right-wing you know, uh, um, places where people are really comfortable with guns and you start a conversation with teachers and parents and they don't want it and you start talking about why and, you know, you just start having any kind of pragmatic conversation like, exactly. you know, what like we right, we try to do and they like where are you going to put the gun, where are you going to lock it, what happens when law enforcement comes in and there's a shootout and they see an adult with a gun? Who are they going to shoot? What, 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 you know, what, what's the difference between a handgun and, you know, one of these semi-automatic weapons? And you start going through all of this and then you see what Giffords has put out um, recently, which is that 
um, there have been 65 publicly reported incidents of mishandled guns at schools in the last five years. Guns left in restrooms, teachers loaded gun falling from a waistband, you know, during a cartwheel, a student grabbing an officer's gun. And, and it's a, a teacher unintentionally firing a gun in a school safety demonstration. And you see that this is going to make schools and has made schools less safe. Right. But let, and, and let's let me piggyback off of that, Randy. And let's let's go down two roads right now. I want to go down the operational road. Right? You, you clearly bring in that pragmatic side, which makes all the sense in the world. But let's marker board this, shall we? So let's look at the operational sure. side. And then let's look at the realistic cost side. I think these are two very, yep. very important things. The operational side is this. From a police standpoint, we're talking about... I love talking to a law enforcement person. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're so organized this way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. From a police standpoint, right, we're talking about the exercise of deadly physical force. Now, that's we're just... Laying the groundwork for everybody as you're driving, if you're on a train, wherever you are, just stay with me. We're talking about the exercise of deadly physical force. The exercise of deadly physical force in the United States of America is governed by something called the use of force matrix. Each state has their own, and there's a national parameter. Use of force matrix meaning from no force, meaning a verbal command, to deadly physical force. So now... We're talking about nothing other than the use of deadly physical force when it comes to arming teachers. In addition to that, we have now what, and I'll use the state of Florida as a benchmark, they're saying that they're going to have um, those that volunteer pass a psychological evaluation and complete 144 hours of required training. Bill also requires the employee to complete the required training to the sheriff's satisfaction. Now, 60-some-odd counties, that means that there is no validity and reliability whatsoever if it's up to the sheriff's satisfaction because that means it's up to one individual. So we'll come back to that in a second because we're talking about a valid and reliable system. Now let's talk about the type of training that you would need. This isn't a basic recruit training. Basic recruit training for all of our listeners everywhere entails somewhat of a rote type, non-confrontational, non-tactical approach. It's 25 meters, it's 15 meters at a gun range in a controlled environment without running, without being stressed, standing still and shooting at a target. That's basically what's trained for. That's the qualification course. Now, what we're talking about, brief sidebar, with teachers, Randy, is we're talking about tactical training, and you touched on this. So, Where I'm coming to here is this. You're talking about close quarter shooting. If we're talking about arming a teacher, we're talking about preparing them during a high-stress situation with a limited amount of training, with no required mandatory retraining, and no tactical training to use a gun in a close quarter situation with dozens, if not hundreds of students running at the same time in a close quarter where more than 90% are students or former students. And the question now comes with the lack of training, the lack of experience, the lack of retraining inside tactical situation in a close quarter shooting with more than 90% probability that your shooter is a student 
does the teacher shoot the student in that split second? Right. And the answer, Randy? Or does the teacher... Not I mean, a chance. Or does the... Yeah. Yeah. Or does the teacher I mean, shoot another your... student? Do we know Likely. that 20% in a, in a police situation, Randy? You can't make this up. In, in about 20% of the case... In, 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 when looking at police shootings, about 20% of the shots fired in a tactical situation actually hit the perpetrator. So you've just, so my question to you, Paul, is this. You've actually, and I know you're the questioner and I'm not the guest. No, we're, this my is. my question is this. Yeah, go, you, I want to hear. You have explained this in a way that any law enforcement person would say would, would I mean, I've, I've heard not as eloquent an explanation, but I've heard these kind of explanations before. And in a, you know, in terms of that, you know, that, that people will be woefully unprepared in terms of training for an emergency situation. And on top of that, they have not had the psychological training that law enforcement has had. And look what has happened because of, you know, all these bias incidents even with the psychological training exactly. that law enforcement has. Exactly. And so, and then, but I would layer something else on, which is that in these split second, and you're, you're seeing this in all of the um, training that's now going on in terms of active shooter training. Right. In these split second moments where, you know, there's an alarm goes off, there's an emergency, there's somebody says active shooter, there's whatever happens. A teacher has to do many things at that moment. Instinctively, you're locking the door so that the shooter doesn't come in. You're making sure that the kids are shielded. You're doing a bunch of these other things. Now, how do you do that? Find your gun, figure out all this other stuff. So you're now... What, what do you do as that school teacher in a room who is trying to make sure that kids are really, really, really protected? Your instinct is to protect. Your instinct is to be the human shield. Your instinct is to hide the kids, to find that closet, to find a way to shield them. That is your instinct. Correct. You don't have much time in these emergency situations to all of a sudden do something oh. That is not your instinct when you have this. No. And that's what I also don't understand. And you, you asked a question a few minutes ago. Like, and this is what I think is really going on. It's not just the NRA. It's that there's, you know, there, is, there are the gun manufacturers in the United States of America have had a, an, a, what I consider an unholy alliance with the NRA. And, and, and look, they want to sell guns. So at one point or another, they, they started moving from handguns to this semi, the, the, this, these guns that are used in war that people now have all across America. And I think, unfortunately, this is more driven by the need to sell more guns well, than it is anything else. Randy. And, and, and kids, and, and this is what's insane to me. It goes without saying. It goes without saying that this is driven by money. And, and I want everyone that's listening right now, those of you that are rolling your eyes, stay with me on this, all right? I could care less what side of the aisle you sit on because it really doesn't make a difference to me. 
I'm talking about as an American. The facts are the facts. They're indisputable. So when we look at how much money goes into this, I will, I will dial back to when I was covering for CBS um, and we were both, we would do, we think we, we were doing network rights. We were on this morning, we were on CBS and uh, constant four or five straight days on television and radio covering the shooting at Parkland. Right, Randy? Nonstop. Yeah. And I remember someone saying to me, one of our great That's anchors terrible. here at CBS TV was saying, Paul, we're really encouraged about what we hear with the students. The students are saying they're going to fight back and they're not going to accept this and things are going to change. And I, I said, you know, I wish to God that that were the case. But that's just simply not going to happen. Oh, don't say, no, it's not going to happen because it's a knee-jerk thought. And at the end of the day, this is governed by money. And you are not going to change the legislators that have been supported by this lobbyist to be inside their seat in, in Florida or Indiana or uh, Pennsylvania or any of the other states. If that's who got you in that seat, that's who's keeping you in that seat, or you won't keep that seat. And that's just the way it goes. All right? So you wrote a letter, Randy, you wrote a letter uh, to uh, President Trump, and I thought it was, a, it was a beautifully written letter. It was so on point. There are three different parts that, that I would like to just touch on because they speak to what Trump. we're speaking to. All right? So before I go you down— know, You know, he never, he never answered. You, um, I'm actually surprised by that because I would think now if I wrote him a letter, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't answer. I'm surprised he didn't respond to you or someone didn't. But my point here is, well, it's a beautiful letter and I want to touch on three points. But we talked about the tactical and the operational side, which it's and is what it is. Right. So we show the disparity between how police are trained and how teachers would not be trained. And from the psychological standpoint, and from the lack of integrated training, you're just not preparing them properly in order to exercise deadly physical force in a close quarter environment. It's a fact. It's undisputable. That's where that sits. So now let's go. Stay with me on this, Randy. Right? Let's go to cost. Now you are the president. You are the president of a union that represents 1.7 million of our thought leaders. It's phenomenal. Obviously, the most underpaid profession, right, in the country, but we won't even go there. The amount of dedication yep. that goes into a profession, the amount of abuse that teachers take constantly from students that probably don't res clearly don't respect them as much as they should, but yet they keep coming back, right? They keep coming back, Randy. Your teachers never stop. How many people can sit right now, and this is a very important point for everyone to understand, how many, how many of us can right now stop what we're doing and say, I remember that one teacher that impacted my life. I know I can. I would, I would say I, I hear it. You know, I'm, I'm in schools all the time, and I'm in communities all the time, and I hear it all the time. And, you know, it's, 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 you know we're not perfect, and, you know, we make mistakes, and there are some people that shouldn't be teachers. But by and large, it is the profession that makes all other professions possible. And um, I'm very grateful that in this moment of time, people are actually seeing, you know, the importance of teachers. You're seeing that, you know, no in terms of the, the, the embrace of the teacher strikes, which are really for, frankly, because we haven't gotten the resources we need. So people are 
walking the streets That's to my try point. to get resources for kids. And, and, you know, nobody's walking the streets to get armed in schools. No, exactly. I mean, and and Randy. Books, armed with guidance counselors, right. not armed with guns. Right. <laughs> this is my point. And I'm going to come back to the guidance counselor point. But we've passed the operational part so everybody can understand this. And to the cost part, our teachers are the very backbone of, of, of our society in so many ways because they lay the foundation for all of us in what we think and how we move through the rest of our lives. Teachers are a critical component of the behavioral growth of every person in our society. They're the most underrated profession in the United States. And yet we have teachers that grapple for money, Randy, to, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but I have to say this because we have to move through this qualitative side of this, of this argument. They can't get money for school supplies. We have teachers out there, Randy, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we have teachers that take out of their own pocket, like they have enough extra money anyway, to get school supplies for their students. So now from a financial standpoint, when we, we, have, we have teachers across our country, Randy, your 1.7 million plus that you represent that don't have enough money from their schools that are constantly being told it's not in the budget, how in God's name are we going to afford arming, training, and retraining teachers? How are we going to do that? Can anybody tell me where that money's coming from? And it's actually worse, Paul, because as you talked about the cost, what we're in hearing in terms of the insurance industry, which, you know, driven by money as they are, they understand the risk here. And so insurance for schools are now going for places that allow guns in schools, they're going way up. So you're so you now have a new cost factor in terms of because they because the insurance industry is gauging the risk in some ways like you are, like I am, that it's incredibly risky to yes. have people who are armed in schools who are not you know, who are not licensed practicing um, enforcement officers who have been trained in, you know, in, in, in emergency procedures, which is what happens when you have an active school shooter Correct. in the school. And so, so it's, actually, it's actually worse. And so what's happened is that it's and, – and so the, the thing that we actually really need – by the way, it's about 500 to $1,000 that teachers um, take out of their own pockets. There, there's been surveys about this. Um, across America, and teachers actually, in 38 states, actually make less when you account for inflation than they did about 10 years ago. And teachers are actually paid between 15 and 25 percent less than those with similar skills in other professions. Mm -hmm. and, and, so, and let me just say one more fact, which is that 25 states still spend less on public education today than they spent before the recession. That's why you have mold infestation. That's why you have books that are 50 years old. That's why, frankly, you don't have guidance. You have guidance counselors, one guidance counselor for every, you know, a thousand kids. And the things that we could really use, and, 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 and um, at Brady or 
every town, NEA, AFT, on the anniversary of Parkland actually put out um, a paper that said, these are the things that would, we think will actually work to intervene. So the red flag laws, meaning the emergency orders of protection, like, and, and the one like Cuomo signed in New York that also includes teachers um, being able to go to court to actually have an emergency order, which would actually then after due process, take a gun away from a child. We think that that would have actually helped in Parkland. Um, things like um, having mental health services that are not stigmatized, that are not done after a, you know special ed evaluations, right. but if you actually had um, wraparound services in a school, because kids know and teachers know the kids who are disaffected. Mm -hmm. And what if we could actually have ways to meet their needs? But you see, and we so, do. So there, are, we there do. are things we could do with this money if we had it for these kind of things mm -hmm. rather than the unsafe things of putting a gun in the hands of people who will not be able to use it well, who will, who will you know, we're already seeing in terms of all the, you know, uh, mishandled guns at schools, and God forbid... There is a situation where a teacher inadvertently kills a child. No God question. forbid that happens. And, and every law enforcement person I talk to says that the likelihood of that, given all of these scenarios, is great. No, it's a certainty. I'm not, I'm not, there's not a probability there, Randy. It's a certainty. And I want everyone to remember what I just said. Quote me on it. Yep. As we, wind this, yep. as we wind this interview down, Randy, I have three points I want to raise in your letter to President Trump because sure. I have quick sure. sidebars on each, okay? Um, and and this is, this is, we're crystallizing so many things with you right now from the operational side, the pragmatic side, the cost side. All of these things, all of these aspects are facts. They're truths. There's no exaggeration, no sensationalism. It's a fact. And this is what I ask everyone to take into consideration. Now, Randy wrote a beautiful letter. If you haven't seen it, you, you should look it up because it's a phenomenal letter uh, from a, a brilliant professional. And there are three points that I want to, to touch on. Um, one, you may, you, in, in the letter, and I quote, it says, School, you write, schools need to be safe sanctuaries, not armed fortresses. Your proposal to arm teachers not only would make our children's classrooms less safe, but also is not what educators and students want. So I, I take that verbatim, and my question to that is, when, we, when you say safe sanctuaries, not armed fortresses, I agree with you. Now, we need a certain amount of security at all our schools, and I'm sure, Randy, you agree with that. Correct? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. But the, the fascinating part that I see here is when you say they need to be safe sanctuaries. To me, and my question is, are you referring to what we can do and what we should be doing with respect to dealing with the root of the problem and not responding to it? Was that what you meant by that? Yes. Okay. I mean, I, 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 I think you're, we're, no one will be, none of us can be a guarantor of everyone's safety all the time. But given what we know about children and about well-being, if we can actually get to the root, 
And we know this in terms of the opioid addiction issues too. If we can actually get to having kids feel and families feel safe and welcoming in school, that they feel like school is a safe haven for them, that they feel like there is um, uh, that their that their well-being is being attended to. The research we know, plus common sense, says that we're going to be able to help many, many kids, and we'll also be able to, you know, the whole notion, see something, say something. Right. If people feel like something else is happening, and they're safe to say that, they're going to be able to say to a teacher, uh, there's a problem here. So that notion of, of, exactly. of, of not having a Game of Thrones but having a safe situation where people feel a school is safe and nurturing, you're going to create trust and you're going to create an ability for people to also say, but we got a situation here. No question. And, and, and no that, question. That, that, that's no what question. I meant right. by and saying safe thought. haven. And that's why I not wanted to crystallize hardened, that. But safe haven. Right. That's what yes. I wanted to crystallize because that, it, it, it's exactly the correct point that we want to be making because the problem that we have in schools, ladies and gentlemen, cannot be solved by, even though we need perimeter security and access control at every one of our schools, and I'm a staunch supporter of that, and we need very solid, very, very solid crisis management and crisis response plans, as I know that Randy is an advocate of. Me too. But everything, as my mother, God rest her soul, used to say, everything in moderation. The next thing that you said, Randy, which I found to me, is how I will finish this, this show today. You said, or listen to the students, and I'm, I'm, again, everyone who's listening, um, we're, we're, we're talking about uh, Randy's letter to President Trump. And Randy writes, and I quote, or listen to the students at Stoneman Douglas, students like Junior Carson Apt, whom you met and who wrote in the New York Times, quote, my teachers are the light. What a beautiful thing to say. Through a combination oh of training and determination, they calmed the fear of some and saved the lives of others. So I will close today's show on Randy Weingarten's statement because I will tell you, well, first, real quick, Randy, when you, when you wrote that, what were you saying? Listen, I saw my own teacher. I, look, I was a teacher at Clara Barton High School in Brooklyn, New York. My mom was a teacher for 30 years. I'm with teachers all the time. I'm with students all the time. Teachers are, you know, every, not, I shouldn't say every, I don't know every teacher. What I'm saying is that teachers are human shields. Teachers love kids, and kids see this. And in all of these emergency situations, I saw it in 9-11 when teachers shepherded kids at miles to safety. Teachers love children. That is why we are here. And frankly, Kids in so many places see this and rely on it. And that's what the kids in Stoneman Douglas still are saying to me. One, one of the kids has become like a goddaughter to me, and I wrote her a, you know, an, a, a, a recommendation for school, and we spent a lot of time together. And, and, and we just, you know, these kind of incidents, 
change people's lives. No, they do change you people's see lives. see that instinct. You, you see that instinct but, of how kids feel protected by teachers. We are, we want to be that light. We no, want to be and that you change are. maker. And you are. And you are. And it's, it's, it's really, you know, crystallized in the, in the comment of, um, and, I, and, and I'll finish with this, through a combination of training and determination. So to close today. Yep. And compassion. And compassion. But let, let me talk now to the third component of why teachers and the arming of teachers will not solve the problem but will enhance the problem that we have in our schools with respect to safety. We talked about the organizational side. We talked about the training side. We talked about the behavioral side. We talked about the cost side, all of which are qualitatively and quantitatively valid and reliable. And they're undisputable. You can dispute them, but not with any level of validity and reliability. But last but not least, I wish with, with Randy on with us, I will tell you where we need to go, and I will piggyback off uh, Randy Weingarten's letter to President Trump. And in closing, I will tell you this. When the student wrote through a combination of training and determination, let me tell you what that says. I have been, as most of you know, I have, I have been in serving this country both from a city and a state and a uh, government level for coming on 40 years, uh, both here and abroad. I have been specializing as a behavioral analyst in workplace and school violence since 1985. I have profiled just over a 1,000 cases. I will tell you without any hesitation that the school violence offender in every case I have worked exhibits warning signs. The school violence offender is not a sociopath. The school violence offender is an individual screaming for attention and categorically tells us what he is going to do, when he's going to do it, who he's going to do it to, because they brag about get even plans. That's a fact, yeah. and it's undisputable. So when Randy wrote this letter, I will support all of this, but I will also support this one part because it speaks to how we need to close today. Arming teachers is not the solution. I love our teachers. I will always support our teachers. I am in debt to our teachers. I will always have that position. Our teachers want to teach. That's what they want to do. That's why they became teachers. If they wanted to be cops, they'd have gone down that road. But what we need to remember is that we need to take the advice of you know, Carson, and all the other peoples, the students and the teachers that take this position. We need to spend a fraction of the money, reduce the risk, and train our teachers and our students on the early warning signs of school violence because they are there. Exactly. We need to create exactly. an environment that Randy's saying where that safe haven will beget an environment that promotes open lines of communication where that people aren't intimidated and not reluctant to communicate with teachers and, and administrators about what they've seen and what they've heard because, ladies and gentlemen, our students are the front line in school violence. They're seeing it. They're hearing it before it happens, which is why they're telling us they're not surprised when it happens. Shame on us if we don't listen. 
if we don't capture this, then we will continue to have this conversation. I love our teachers, but arming them is not the solution. Randy, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. You, you are a gift, my friend. Um, and everything you, that Paul. you've done, I mean that, everything that you've done, everything that you continue to do, please know that everyone here at CBS and CBS News Radio and certainly our entire staff at Security Matters, we support you. We, we support the American Federation of Teachers. We love your teachers. And I will just tell you right now that if there's ever anything you think that I can do to assist you in this effort or others, you have me in your bullpen. All you have to do is pick up the phone. So, Randy Weingarten, thank, thank you, you for so joining us much, today. Thank you so much, Paul, and we're going to take you up on that. I, I <laughs> certainly thank you, thank you I for everything. Hope so. Continued success <laughs> and all our best to all the teachers. Stay with us. We are going to take a quick break. You are listening to Security Matters at CBS News Radio. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Now, back to Security Matters with Paul Violas. Welcome back to Security Matters. Uh, as you know, we've been listening and speaking with Randy Weingarten uh, about this omnipresent subject of arming teachers. I'm going to close with this. I ask everybody to take this under advisement. You know, one of the wonderful things, one of the, so many, one of the many things that's, that's, that's great about um, having this show on, on CBS is just the, the listeners, the demographic of the listeners are just ideal. I ask you to leave personal feelings aside. I ask you to leave political feelings aside. And I ask you to listen and take with you today, take with you from today one thing. And that is the facts are the facts. And that is that God bless them. Every single last one of them. Our teachers are wonderful. But this isn't why they became teachers. Arming teachers is not going to help this problem. The problem is already built inside the school. We need to do a better job at identifying it, mitigating it, and resolving it, not responding to it. I ask you to take that with you. Please hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Remember, it's at Paul Violas or it's at SEC Matters. Please take a minute if you can and go to cbsaudio.com slash podcast. Go to Security Matters and give us a rating because we really, it is important to us and we would absolutely love to hear what you have to say. On behalf of everybody here, uh, at CBS News Radio and at Security Matters. Be safe, be well. God bless. Thanks for listening to Security Matters with Paul Violas. The podcast is produced by Seth Nyman and CBS News Radio. For more podcasts from CBS News, visit cbsaudio.com slash podcasts. Survivor's back and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist, a new co-host, the winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares. Hi! Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast.